0: Welcome everyone to the 19th episode of Tales from Planet Customer Experience. We're excited to have you with us today. As always, my name is Brian Brunner.
1: And I'm Deliana Pavlova. We're a couple customer experience geeks who love sharing stories about customer experience. We have a very interesting guest today joining us from across the ocean. I have Adrian from um, Scotland, who's an experienced podcaster and sort of a CX guru. So we're really excited to talk to uh, a CX peer and um, have a discussion. I came across Adrian in a recent CX newsletter that talked about his experience with a um, potter potty <laughs> and um a recent event that he attended so i asked him to come on this uh, podcast and tell the story so adrian welcome to the podcast
2: hi Diliana, hi brian nice to be here so it happened a little while ago it was actually on the anniversary of my wife and i's wedding and uh we took the the sort of the day off we were going to go out to dinner in the evening. And we took day off, went for a bit of a walk at this local nature reserve. And on the way back to the, the car, we thought, well, actually I'm gonna to go to the bathroom just to, um, before we can drive home. And we went to the bathroom and it was, there was a visitor center at the nature reserve. And so there's all sorts of work, but there's all sorts of work getting done there at the time. And so we had to go out the back and use some temporary kind of toilets. So we went to the temporary toilets and it was all kind of fine, kind of like, they're all a bit smelly and stinky, kind of normal sort of things you find at these kind of public events, but they kind of, they're they functional, right? The, the thing I noticed when I came away from it was there was a, there was a, one of these temporary toilets, but it was a disabled one. So it had like a slightly bigger, slightly wider door and things. One of the challenges of, of what I noticed about it though was that it was padlocked. Really, it had a combi- it had a combination padlock on it, and what was interesting was that if you look around, if you looked around, there was no, there was no signage saying, where do you get the kind of the uh, the padlock uh, code from, uh, you know, um, kind of who to go and see, or and so on and so forth. And actually, if you looked around, there wasn't very many people on site either, um, and so it just struck me as being odd and wrong and bad. And it just, I thought it was an interesting example or illustration of how we make assumptions about certain things that can put barriers in the way of some people's experience. Because no other toilet for an able-bodied person that was locked So it was fine for everybody else, but not for the people that were physically challenged or had some disability and that they had to manage. And and therefore they were blocked from using the facilities. And I think that what it strikes me about that is that we fall into this trap often when we think about services and experiences. And And the trap is that we design things for people like us. And that's a huge challenge. Now it's interesting this is, this happened on the kind of the, on the back of, I wrote this kind of a, um, so quite a, a while ago. So it's, it's a reasonably old story. Um, but then you have people like on the back of the of the pandemic and the lockdown and all the different sort of things and the, and, and the highlights around, you know, inequalities and social injustice and all these different sort of things. And people kind of then jump on the, on the bandwagon that we need to think, make things kind of more inclusive. And then you have agencies like Forrester who starts trumpeting in late, kind of uh, late 2020, the saying that, um, 2021 was going to be the year of inclusive CX. When I read that I really I, I, I nearly snorted my coffee out of my nose. <laughs> because by definition, that means or by it they're, they're sort of I guess um tacitly admitting that up until that point CX wasn't inclusive. This utter bull utter it stinks it absolutely stinks particularly when you can bear in mind or you can take into account the idea of like people who identified as having as having some sort of disability number about 19 or 20 percent of the world the whole world's population so from an economic and commercial perspective you talk about total addressable markets you are missing this possibly huge chunk of people. And I think that's kind of the, the that's the thing I, I, you know, I rail about is that, is this idea that, you know, when we design things is to make sure that we don't make sure one, we're clear about what assumptions we're making and who's it for, and to make sure that we try and see things through other people's eyes. And if we can't, and we find that difficult, then go talk to people and get them to tell you how they see things. And, and sometimes I don't think these things are, in, are intentionally done. It's just a function of laziness.
1: And you know, I wanted to have this conversation, particularly when I saw your story, I thought this is a topic that's so rarely talked about, right, and something that we don't address so i think it's a great point and it actually reminds me brian and i went to an event before the pandemic that kind of raised very similar examples of how we so often fall in this trap of designing for people like ourselves right And brian i can't remember all the examples they shared at the conference now but they were just really eye-opening and so rarely we talk about this or have these conversations when we're designing products or services like It's just very often becomes an afterthought. Um, So that's why, thank you for sharing that. I thought it was a great way to have a discussion of how can we really have these discussions every time we're designing experiences, products, solutions. Well, I think
2: think that's the thing is that if you you think about it and people talk about being customer experience professionals or geeks or leaders or practitioners or whatever, but when when you're routine, when you're routinely ignoring large groups of people because of the way that you do things, then you are failing. You're failing in your role and you're doing a disservice to those kind of people.
0: You know, and and I want to go back to something you said, Adrian, that I think is, is very true. You said, you know, when, when we do that, it's oftentimes it's just laziness. Right. And, and, you know, in this conference that Delano was, was talking about, um, there was I, again. I can't remember the details, either, but there was some product that wasn't working for a certain uh, racial group or something like that, if I remember right. And and the lady made the comment. I don't think that the engineer who designed it was um, was racist or was intentionally, you know, designing this so that it wouldn't work for this this uh, this this race uh, racial group. But um, but to your point, it was it was also laziness that they didn't say, hey. Let's let's make sure this works for people who don't look like us or who don't you know uh, interact with it in the same way that we do. So, I think that's that's a, that's a brilliant point. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking was, I'm I'm wondering, thinking about this idea of inclusiveness and that and and sort of sometimes giving it lip service. Did they have that uh, you know handicapped or disabled um, uh, porta potty? there because somebody said hey you need to be more inclusive and 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 put one on there so they said okay they put it out there but then they (laughs) they put a padlock on it so you couldn't even you know get into it so they they checked the box hey we're more inclusive good for us yay us but at the end of the day it really doesn't make a difference to the people that that it's really important
2: i think i think legislatively you have to provide those sort of facilities right right but then we fall into the trap that you know if you go into I don't know, many restaurants or coffee shops or, you know, whatever, sometimes even kind of like retail malls and things. And and this is kind of the way that some people can think about it. It's like there, there will be, you'll get some, um, almost like bad actors that will use these facilities for other things. Right. And so what they'll end up doing is because of that, because that happens, they end up kind of like either locking it or because it, it, it happens that maybe it's not used as much that they end up trying to use the space. I remember hearing a story one time that somebody was, went to use a, um, a disabled kind of bathroom in a, uh, it was a retail outlet or a coffee shop or restaurant or something. And the person said, oh, you can't use it because we use it as a cleaning cupboard because <laughs> nobody uses it. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. And so
2: what you end up doing is you end up kind of, you know, choosing to use that space one because it might be using in, in it, it's used in the wrong way by some people or because it's not used, you decide to use it or it's not used very frequently. Then you end up using it, decide that you're going to use it for something else. And it reminds me of this kind of thing, right? There's a it, like a, if we extend the, the sort of the, the restaurant sort of bathroom. Um, example I have, I wrote once or I just kind of a, a, like an analogy and uh, part of sort of stories I wrote about it and it's a, it, it talks about this idea of, um, smelly bathrooms. And what I mean by that is that imagine you go to a restaurant, right? And it's a place you've been wanting to go to for the longest time. And you book a table and it's there, you ro- you rock up, and it's all good, and the maitre D shows you to your table, and the, you know the music and the ambience and everything is great. You order your food, service is great, if you order your food, it's all going beautifully well. Smells, taste the food, it's all wonderful, right? And then you go to the bathroom, and the bathroom is slimy, and it stinks, and it's just dirty, right? Now, what do you think? Does it start to kind of seed doubt in your minds around? Well, if the bathrooms like that, then what's the kitchen like? Right? And this is a thing, this is a phenomenon. It's a bit like sometimes um, we judge our experience or we we can rate our experience not on the things that we are the things that you're expert in. But the things that we're expert in. I how we're treated, and the kind of the facilities, maybe how somebody how you're greeted, how you're seated, how you're answered the phone, the booking process, all these different sort of things. So it's sometimes not the core things that really matter, but it's everything else around it that matters.
1: And I think that's a great point right And it really to me translates to any experience we provide that it's holistically about the whole journey and all the components, not just the main component, whatever the product is, but it's the interactions with the company, it's, you know, they uh, support, it's the return, it's everything right, even if it's one piece that's broken and not working it completely derails the experience so it's it to me it's a great example of overall how customer experience works and where we typically get in trouble
2: can i make a point around customer experience and i think this is just a general point well it's a general point but it's i think it's an important one um too often we we talk i hear too many people talk about um sort of being at Sort of customer experience practitioners or professionals or experts or whatever it might be. And I try really hard not to kind of refer to myself in that kind of fashion. And the reason why is because we don't have any control over a customer's experience. We can try and facilitate, we can try and design something with a with a kind of a, a good likelihood that somebody's gonna have a positive experience, but there is no guarantee that that's gonna happen. The reality is that there's stuff that happens, i.e. what we can do, and then there's what we make it mean. And so we are in service to somebody's experience. And this is the thing that we need to keep in mind. Too often when we get we get, caught up in the kind of the, the touch points and the journeys and the mapping and the voice of the customer and all these different they're tools that gives us insight into what, 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 um, what it is we're trying to do and because, but we, because we get so caught up in the tools, we lose sight of what it is we're trying to do. And that can be another factor that explains how things fall through the gaps and why we don't take account of these different perspectives and don't see those gaps. Because we don't we get to, we become experts in this or that or the other, and we don't we forget that what the whole picture is. So let let me ask you know when you
0: say um, when you say we're in service, how, how did you say that we're in service
2: to their to our customers? Um, uh, you know we're in service to that you know to their experience. Like that, that's what we're trying to do. It's like we can the service is something that we that we can do. Right. Experience is not something we can do. Design is something that we can do. Operations is something that we can do. Logistics is something that we can do. Communication is something that we can do. All of these things are things that we can do that feed into and are important parts of the delivery of a great experience. But the arbiter, the ultimate arbiter of whether the experience is great or not is the customer nobody else
1: right
0: and and i think that's that's why it may you know when you think about all the things you're talking about voice of the customer and surveys and all those things especially you know i I just recently had an experience where we were looking at some some customer feedback and my boss who's a very you know technical engineering kind of focused guy he was like all right well how do we fix this right and and obviously to your point there's things that we can do to improve the 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 way that we interact with the customer, the the way that they receive their product or their service or whatever it is. But sometimes at the end of the day, it's 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 the customer's opinion. And and we can't force them to change that. Right. They, they may have a a different way of looking at things. And and we again, it doesn't mean we give up and we don't try. Well, obviously, we're going to try everything we can to make it a positive experience for them. But at the end of the day, it's it's not a You know, it's not a, you know, a widget that's broken. Let's go fix the widget. It's okay. What, what can we do? We've got to better understand this so that we can try to help provide a better, um, service or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, that experience is, is not a cut and dried um, thing that can be measured so easily.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's kind of one of the kind of challenges with, with the, the space and where it's, where it's kind of gotten to is that again, it's like, I have a poster up here. Which used to be behind me in my old um, office, but up here, and it says, "Pardon the expression, customer experience is more than effing metrics." <laughs> That's so true, right? And it's because it is. I mean, but yet we find ourselves when we talk about customer experience as a as a domain, as it were, that one of the the first things that pops up is metrics. Yeah. You like going, yeah, but a customers not a metric, right? And so that sort of thing about when you kind of hit a bug or a snag or a problem or whatever, and your and your boss says, "How can we fix it?" Therein is then in, then that question is our challenge, right? Because we are we build organizations and a culture cultures within organizations about fixing things. Something happens and we jump into the fix,
0: yeah.
2: And I would. And sometimes we don't spend, to your point, we don't spend time stepping back and then thinking about, is this really a problem?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: As so we don't really understand the problem. It's like, so, you know, there's a great saying that's been attributed to Einstein. And he said that if you give me a problem, I would, I would spend about 55 minutes thinking about the problem and then five minutes fixing it. Hmm. The challenge is, is that the way that we operate is the other way around. Exactly,
0: exactly. Five minutes
2: thinking about it and then 55 minutes fixing it. (laughs) It's so true. And we wonder why things don't get fixed very well. Yep. And so there is that sort of thing, is that you know, to make these these strides, these kind of make, to, to, to create these things that have that impact, that resonate with people, that people can engage with the things that we have to do differently is not sometimes not about nuts and bolts and digital and technology and everything else. It's about us. It all starts with us and about how we do things. Right. And how we approach things. And so we talk about that inclusive idea and missing things. The reason why we don't, you know, we've, 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 one of the reasons that we've probably, skipped past that or not kind of paid attention to that is because we're just running too hard. We don't stop and go, so who's this for? Have we covered everybody? Who else could it be for?
0: Yeah. And, and especially like you said, going back to your original point, when it's someone who doesn't look like us, who doesn't think like us, who doesn't interact with the world like we do. And if we're not even thinking about, you know or we're thinking minimally about people who do look like us and who do interact with the world like us it's not surprising that we're completely leaving out people who who don't look like us or or, or think like us or whatever sure so, yeah that's a great point excellent excellent well this is this has been a great conversation i've really enjoyed it <laughs> sorry this might not have been what you expected <laughs> no this is this is exactly what we would hope we had hope for this is this is really great so I, adrian anything else you want to add to this
2: conversation. here. Um, so the thing on the flip side, diana <clears throat> you, so, you asked me about kind of a good example. I, 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 I want to talk to me about the, um, the disabled toilet example, and that's kind of a, I guess a, a, a bad one. And I made a note about, we talked about kind of just to balance it off a good one. And I wanted to share a recent one very quickly, a recent one. Sure. And it, it was surprising because it was to do with, I, I heard about this kind of like this, um, this new music documentary that was made by put together by Questlove and it's called the summer of souls, about the Harlem music festival <clears throat> that took place in 1969 at the same time as Woodstock and, but it got no press, but it was filmed and recorded and everything else, but it's never really been published. And so Questlove to gathered all this sort of stuff and put it all together as a big documentary. It, I, we watched it. It's a beautiful piece of work, but we bought it on demand um, via sort of Amazon, sort of Prime. And the first time I tried to kind of buy it, it said error. I was like, Ugh. and then the second time I buy it, tried to buy it, it went said it worked. But then I checked, got an email the day after, and it got checked, and I'd been charged twice for it. And I was like, oh crumbs! And then I tried to get on Amazon, trying to figure out kind of how do I do this, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I was like, going, huh. That's kind of uh, that's kind of crazy. There wasn't no oh, there's a multiple thing, click this, and then there was a button that says, "Click to call," and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll we'll give that a go," hoping, you know, fully expecting to be in like a twenty minute queue wait minimum sort of thing. Yeah, click so to call. twenty was, minutes if
0: you're lucky, right?
2: <laughs> well, right, and it was like click to call, um, and I was on my computer, and then it was it was it has my number, so they basically kind of connected with my phone. <laughs> And it basically said, one minute, wait, and then it got through through a couple of kind of menus through, got straight through to somebody who said, my name's this, that, the other, explained it, spoke to a a lovely lady called Louisa. And she said, yeah, I can see that's happened. What would you like to do? Cancel both of them and refund you both of them or just cancel kind of like one refund you the one? I said, just do the one because we'd want to keep it. And that's fine. She says, fine, that's done. Wow. Off you go. So in the world of automate and do simple stuff and Amazon is this kind of prime example, this kind of juggernaut of data and automation and everything else. There's these little things that just show up. That's surprising that you go. Yeah, that's pretty wonderful. Yeah. and pretty unexpected and pretty cool you know, and that's
1: the thing, right? Unexpected. We talk on this podcast a lot about the unexpected delight yeah, when yeah. you don't expect things to get resolved quickly or easily. It's usually what makes an experience a good one.
2: Yeah. So, and I think, but I think the point is, is like, <clears throat> that's nothing that's necessarily out of the ordinary. It's just like you are being fast and efficient and effective in almost like getting the basics right and just being brilliant at it. Now, whether that's through the use of, Technology or the human touch or kind of a combination of the two. It was like, in the moment, it was like you smashed it.
0: Yeah, it worked. I, when you first said what happened, I, I sort of had this sick feeling in my stomach of, "Oh, I'm gonna have to spend so much time trying to figure out this right." And so the fact that it was resolved so quickly—that's that's just amazing. So. Well, awesome. Well, again, thank you, Adrian. This, we really appreciate you being on here with us. This has been an absolute delight and, and, uh, and just been a great conversation. We hope that uh, our listeners will enjoy it as well. And, uh, you mentioned to us you you have your own podcast. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that before we close up here.
2: Uh, sure. So, um, so I oh, what do I do? Kind of like you can find out a bit more about me by just taking my name, Adrian Swinsco and sticking it into Google. There is only one of me, and you'll find out kind of most of the links. I've written a bunch of books. I have a podcast that's about twelve years old, where I get to rummage around some of this stuff, stories and technology, and people doing kind of cool things. Um, and get to speak to lots of different people about it and then work with other kind of people about solving some of their problems and so um yeah check it out you know i i'm very grateful that i get paid to do stuff i like with people i like and so i am i find myself here's one for you brian i'm in service to service (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love it. Great <laughs> tagline. That's, That's great. Yep. So again, we encourage our listeners to, to look up Adrian. Last name is Swinscoe, S-W-I-N-S-C-O-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, I know I'm, I'm going to do that as well. I'm, I'm uh, really curious to, to hear more about it. So again, thank you for being on. Dilian, anything else uh, you want to add here before we close up?
1: No, this has been a super interesting conversation, Adrian. I appreciate you coming on and agreeing to be our guest and sharing your knowledge. We'll uh, definitely follow you and listen to your podcast as well. So thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Excellent.
0: Well, for our listeners, if if anyone has any stories they want to share with us, please feel free to reach out, planetcustomerexperience at gmail.com. And we'll wish you a great week and greetings from Planet Customer Experience.